Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of One Vision. Today we have the honor to have a very good friend of ours, Amy Millman from Springboard Enterprises, joining us.、Um, it's I can't even remember how many years I've known Amy. I think、um, since my previous life. And、um, if I were to find a word to describe Amy, I think I would call her the fairy godmother. She's someone who's passionate advocate for women entrepreneurs.、Um, she's passionate about what she's doing. She's passionate about bringing different voices. Always very kind. Always very gentle. Always very, very, very thoughtful. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. Today, it's great to be with you.、Um, let's for 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 our listeners、um, who may not be familiar with Springboard.、Um, can you talk us through a little bit about the primary objectives of Springboard? Um, how we got started twenty years ago,、um, your mission, and and how that's different than all the other quote unquote accelerators that we have in the space. Well, thank you first of all for including me in here and that very generous introduction.、Um, actually, some people call me the fairy grandmother. So,、uh, considering that I've been around doing this particular work for about thirty years,、uh, it's. Um, it's exciting for me to see the progress and and what's happened as a result of ecosystems and infrastructure to support entrepreneurs develop、uh, not only in the country but in the world.、Uh, and so,、uh, just to give you a little bit on the background,、uh, 20 years ago, I was running a federal government commission on women's business ownership.、Um, it was established. During the、uh, Reagan administration,、um, by the through the advocacy of women business owners who wanted a voice in policy and、uh, attention to the fact that women、um, were not getting access to capital、um, in、uh, in order to run their businesses, and、uh, and that was the driving force for starting that council. I ran it throughout. The、uh, Clinton administration, and learned、uh, an incredible amount about opportunities and markets and、um, what it takes to actually be successful, both to launch and then build a company. And we were talking about small businesses then, and you know the the lifeline of of this country, to be honest with you, and met people all over the country. Who were starting businesses and building businesses, but also those who were supporting uh, uh, communities of businesses, and uh, that was in, it, my background was as a, a lobbyist for a large、uh, corporation, and so I, the introduction to this world was fascinating to me,、um, and during、uh, during my term. In that office, I, I we launched a series of、uh, workshops,、uh, access to capital workshops,、uh, and we were out in California. This was the end of the '90s, and we were doing this workshop, and we had invited several companies、um, to sit across the table from bankers and talk about. How we develop these relationships so that the bankers felt comfortable investing or, or lending to women, and it was one of the most unsuccessful workshops we'd done, and we'd done these all over the country. 
And at the end of the workshop, I approached one of the entrepreneurs and I said, you know, what, that was, that was really not helpful or useful. And she said, uh, she said that that was a waste of her time. And that the reason was because bankers would never invest or, or lend to, to tech companies. Now, this was the beginning of the whole technology, you know, wave. And, and it hadn't really reached the East Coast, uh, which is where I, I, I'm located. And, and so I was so confused. And I said, well, how do you get funding? And, and they looked at me a little exasperated and said, well, you know, venture capital. And I had never heard of that before. And I thought it, they were talking about equity and they were talking about the stock market. So an education had to happen. So we go back to Washington, talk with all these people who understood all of this. And we said, all right, well, how did they meet each other? And so we went to a, a Mid-Atlantic Venture Association was running a, a venture forum at the time. And we went and it was the most depressing and unfulfilling experience there is somebody's in a large hotel ballroom somebody sitting up on a stage in a very darkened area with a bunch of unintelligible slides and we said we could do better than that and interesting part of this was that we went back to silicon valley and we said to the investors you know how many women have you invested in and they said, well, if there were any women, you know, that met our criteria, we would know them. And we said, well, how about this? How about we go and find them and you fund them and we'll make sure that they meet your funding criteria. And we had an in with, uh, the, with Larry Ellison, who was the CEO of, of Oracle, um, our, the chairman of this commission, Kate Koplovitz, um, she was sitting on the board, so we had a place to play and he invited all of his investor friends. We found hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs, um, who had not been paid attention to or had access. And we held up, I called it our party and they all got funded. The ones we chose to present that day. And we thought, well, this is simple. We'll just continue to do it. And then the market crashed. And we said, well, you know, the market crashing is not going to deter entrepreneurs from uh, pursuing their dreams. And so we're going to help be the one to help pave the way, to help them get an edge, to get the right resources that they need. And that's essentially how everything started. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, you started out almost 20 years ago, and it became pretty obvious, um, based on what you just said, that the opportunities to be part of this innovation economy, be part of this sort of technology-fueled change that was happening to our economy and society was heavily skewed towards helping investing in specific demographics. And, you know, those tend to be white men. Um, if we don't change that narrative, if we don't continue to push, you know, into these 
from from single digits into much heavily uh, more representative investments. What's going to happen if we just continue with that status quo? And and how are you continuing to help change that narrative? What have you learned over the last 20 years? Well, I used to say that I got my PhD from women entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, I could write, people say, why don't you write a book? I could say encyclopedia at this time of things that we've learned. But the short version of it is that um, it's something I learned from Michael Milken years ago. Um, and he told this story that said, you know, he has a vision for what his life is going to be like when he is in his 70s and 80s and 90s. And he knows at that time that his well-being is not going to be necessarily dependent on a very small group of white men who are making the economy move, that it's going to have to be a multicultural, global engagement. And so his investments are, were in a wide range of education and support for diverse populations. And this was probably 30 years ago that he said this. Now, Michael Milken is the guy who is known as the junk bond king and you know, went to jail for you know, basically being an activist. And the interesting part of it is, is that that's really the truth is if we look, if we really look at what is ahead of us, then we can't limit the solutions and the engagement of all of the people. It's not the usual suspects that are going to come up with the answers. And so with that premise is how we said is that we are a deal source for talent and solutions. Um, in diverse populations that you might not have access to. Uh, and that's been the case, you know, almost 800 companies uh, run by, led by women uh, over 20 years uh, that has proven that out uh, time and, you know, over and over and over. Let's go a little bit more into the metrics because I know you guys have that um, on, on your site as well. And that's something that you share very, very regularly. They're definitely very impressive. Um, if you can share with us a little bit more about that um, and also what verticals do you typically focus on and, and what do you look for in the entrepreneurs that you support? You know, it, it, again, this is another learning over time is that as, as markets, and I, I call the venture market, the equity market, sort of that, that ecosystem, that world in which we operate. Um, you know, in the beginning, we were just trying to find talented people with interesting solutions on a variety of technologies. And some of it was just, you know, you think back 20 years, you know, some of it was just, you know, let's put you know, I think about pets.com, which is probably one of the first, you know, e-commerce aspirational uh, companies run by Julie Wainwright. They had nothing at all. And they'd raised hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, just on a cell phone when cell phone technology was, you know, pretty basic. And 
and then of course the market crashes, but that experience um, informed a lot of other people on how to do things or how to build on what they, the basics of which they created. And, you know, that's the same thing that happened when the pioneers came to America, you know, and then they, they, Somebody told them there was a great amount of opportunity on the West. So they started walking and, and you know, reached an obstacle. And then they stopped and created outposts. And the next wave of people came through. Then they were able to provision to go a little further and then a little further for the next wave. And that's exactly what the experience has been for 20 years now that I've seen. And probably even before that. And... And so that the learnings that we've had is, is that almost that peer learning engagement. So at some point in our first, I would say four or five years, we were on this role, we were meeting people all over the country who had interesting ideas and were trying to use the available technology or develop technology to, to execute on their dream, on their vision. And then something happened for us around 2006, 2007, right before the next crash happened. Um, we uh, started doing some work with uh, companies in, uh, in Israel. We had had two or three company, Israeli companies that were moving into the US market with their, with their technologies. And they introduce us to a whole group of people in Israel. You know, they call it Startup Nation. And we found um, a number of women-like companies there that we decided we would bring to the States and introduce them to investors. But we realized that what we needed was, uh, you know, a, an advisor, somebody who understood the market in which they were going to be, in, what they were interested in getting involved with. And so we paired them with one of our alumna who was in that industry and could open doors or at least give them some advice on what going. And that started a whole entire new pivot for us into understanding that the, it was all about the network effect. And so it wasn't just the typical accelerator program that, that says, all right, here's a template for how your investor pitch should go. Uh, we all of a sudden changed our whole focus to, it's really about the peer networks and the advisors and the resources that are brought to you. And so we, with the success of that, um, that program that we did with the exclusively Israeli companies, um, we started to incorporate that into the rest of our programming, which at that time was, you know, we would take anybody coming through, um, you know, 20, 25, 30 companies at a time, um, several times a year, focused on geography, um, uh, from biotech down to e-commerce and everything else in between. And we started to pare down the numbers of companies and then pair them, match them with a group of advisors that um, would work with them 
on whatever their goal was to be. And so um, then we started to say, let's really look at certain industry sectors and really focus and get very deep into those sectors and then find uh, advisors from all walks of life. Like, And we do a lot with life science and biotech and how many people in the pharmaceutical world can we find that or in the in the insurance companies in you know among practitioners who could be relevant to that company's next phase of growth and so we started this whole idea of having a meaningful impact on your next phase of growth um, that so we could maximize the value that we provided to companies that were growing and so it's become this huge circle of engagement with the ecosystem in various different industry sectors like life science or healthcare or fashion, fashion tech in particular um, that you know, we've carved out and we've done a lot of work with blockchain across industries, emerging technologies that could offer new solutions um, and for the most part everything we do is an enterprise focus not a consumer focus um, because we feel that others also are focusing on consumer products and direct to consumer access uh, of solutions but uh, but we decided we would focus on products and services that were enterprise focused and a little harder, harder to fund, um, but um, that's been our mantra uh, and our secret sauce all these years. And then, you know, in addition, globally, as we've started our talent search around the globe, we have been working in Australia for the last eight years. We've got, you know, our first company that ever went public was a Chinese company that's probably about a $6 billion market cap now listed on the NASDAQ called 51 job and, uh, and beyond. Uh, we're pretty much in every continent but uh, Antarctica. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. So let's talk about um, some of those programs a little bit more. And I encourage our listeners to go to springboard at sb.co. Um, very easy to get to. Um, so many different programs over the last 20 years. Let's talk about one um, called Dolphin Tank. You've often stressed that uh, it's not about sharks or piranhas, but rather it's about how can I help? So you're not throwing people into this shark tank. Um, so this is a great lens and it's very, very different than the typical sort of cutthroat startup environment. Um, have we done all of these things wrong all along? I mean, how could we do better? Tell us about Dolphin Tank. 
Oh, there's so many ways to do this. There's no one right way. Uh, but we learned something a while ago is that, you know, in my mind, entrepreneurs are heroes. I mean, you know, or as we call them, sheroes. Um, the most amazing experience that we had um, was with a, a friend of my chairman, Kay Koplovitz, um, uh, actor Alan Alda. And uh, years ago, Alan came to one of our programs, and he was at that time running a program on PBS, um, which, uh, ref uh, which was communicating science. And it was very entertaining, and he was using improvisation techniques on it. How do you, you know, yes and. And it just resonated with us. That's exactly what we do. We like what you're doing. We like what you've just told us. And let's, let's take it to the next level. Let's think about this a little. How would you frame that maybe a little better or differently? Or how would you expand you know, the vision? And that became Dolphin Tank. And what we said was, We'll do a program that's not our typical accelerator program, but that exposes people to ideas at its very infancy and begin to encourage entrepreneurs to message things in a way that is relatable to others, that people can participate. And so we decided that um, the whole idea of dolphins is so interesting because it um, dolphins uh, swim together they support each other they fight off sharks and they are collaborative and we love the whole image of uh, dolphins also protecting people if they're in danger in the water which was so interesting and we decided that one of the interesting aspects of this um, was an opportunity that um, Dell Corporation gave us. Um, they were doing these programs, sort of convening women entrepreneurs from all over the world um, in various cities around the world. And the, they called up and said, you know, do you have some content that you could do that could break the ice with this, with this group, but also help us understand opportunities where we might, you know, engage with the people, you know, 50 women um, had nothing, never met each other. How do you, how can we start? And I said, you know, we've got this concept, this improv concept, and what we could do was do this dolphin tank. So we, we all trekked down to Rio de Janeiro and we, uh, 50 women we'd never met before, and we picked three or four of them and asked them to come up talk about their work and what they were doing and have an ask you know what is it what's the reason why you came to rio for this opportunity give us some specific you know takeaway that you're trying to get from this and it changed everything and we there was a conversation he got to everybody got to meet each other through this ask process and discussion and I can help you with this and that was 10 years ago and we've been doing these all around the world um, with 
small groups of people, sometimes very large groups, but, you know, intimate gatherings of people who feel that they can offer some expertise, advice, connection um, to somebody who's going to stand up there and say, here's what I'm doing and, uh, you know, here's what I need. I've been to one of one of the Dell ones, um, Amy, that you organized, I think, a couple of years ago when we were in South by together. And I've definitely been to a few of the dolphin tanks. I have to say, I, I love them. It's like, like you say, everyone is collaborative. Um, they all offer help. They're there for each other. Very much different than a lot of the other um, demo days, if you will, where people ask very pointed, sharp question, almost feel like, well, you know, let me show you how this is going to be done. Um, so I, I, I love the nature of it. I know that you've collected almost 800 um, of these amazing women and, and startups. Um, are there a few that you can share with us examples um, that address some of the most basic needs? that we have in our society, especially, you know, with what's going on with COVID-19, um, that we feel it has exposed a lot of the inequalities that, that's that been embedded in the society, but might not be as visible. Um, are there some examples that you can share with us? Oh, because there are so many. Um, I know it's a trick question. Yeah, you know, it. it we started, um, you know, back in January, we started collecting uh, just specific examples of companies that we're addressing uh, from our, just from our portfolio, uh, uh, addressing some of the challenges that um, we felt. And actually, it was 51 Job, Kathleen Chen, um, Kathleen Chen uh, from uh, Shanghai, who uh, was the first one to respond, saying, uh, you know, things are shutting down here. Um, this has a profound effect on our business because they're basically only in China and uh, and how we support the workforce. Um, and we, you know, this was kind of new. I mean, people weren't really talking about this in early January, but obviously they were in Asia. And, and so we went out to our companies and said, who has, you know, given what's going on in China, what could you help the Chinese government with? And we got all of this responses back. Anyone from, you know, again, education, um, transportation solutions, um, uh, telehealth, uh, all kinds of, of response, very basic stuff. And then it was, Oh, we need vaccines. Um, we need um, uh, testing, and all of a sudden, you know, companies like Aperiomics, uh, which is based in Virginia, that has been doing testing for uh, um, a variety of different bacteria and other uh, um, issues that people have, given you know, uh, their at-home tests uh, prescribed by doctors or Everlywell, uh, they're based in Austin that has been doing actually now consumer tests 
at-home tests for a variety of different issues, uh, sort of born out of the original 23andMe uh, approach to things. And so we started contacting all of them and had hundreds of responses on, again, telehealth all of a sudden, you know, that it was so difficult because of the regulatory environment. Um, ClickMedics is one um, that uh, has been doing care management platforms with major um, payers around the country um, and also telemedicine for um, third world countries when uh, doctors go in and need um, assistance through uh, uh, if they have devices that they have to put into place uh, while they're doing their rounds. And um, that, that was a really, int we thought it would just be health, but it turned out to be, uh, you know, a variety of different solutions, including well-being and um, uh, mental health support. Um, uh, I, we have a couple of companies in Singapore, um, one that is providing uh, uh, supply chains for the fashion world. Um, you know, you would think that they would be in terrible situation because, um, you know, no, no way to transport anything, uh, factories closed down, things like that. But they have been um, uh, sort of keeping those supply lanes open and helping to make sure that that communication happens. Um, uh, so that was interesting. The other one that was kind of interesting, we again, we have about 60, 70 companies out of Australia. And the one that was really interesting to me was um, a company that manages bridal events. And, um, and they coordinate all kinds of uh, uh, activity, you know, event plant, events, uh, spaces, florists, et cetera. And they've just struggled for the four years that we've known them. It's just been, it's a very difficult market, very, um, uh, just a lot of people in that field, except now that everybody had to cancel their weddings and then find another venue and another time, she's the one that actually they're all going to because everything is booking up for the fall. So, you really need a service to help you with it. And, um, and so that was a kind of an interesting, it was able to raise money because again, you know, her service is the one that now can solve the problems um, that were caused by this COVID virus. So who knew, you know, the range of opportunities that, that arise, um, uh, that, you know, innovation helps uh, solve some problems that uh, weren't issues before. I hate to hear from other venture capitalists who say it's difficult to find women or it's difficult to find minorities to fund or it's difficult to find ideas from people other than what we're seeing in the market because you have proven that again and again over the last 20 years. Your mission is to accelerate the growth of entrepreneurial companies led by women. 
And, you know, it's just, it's amazing to hear your story. And again, I, I suggest people go out and see the type of companies that are on your site at sb.co. Let's, let's um, take that and, and look at the last decade plus, the last 20 years. You know, how has your mission and model changed and what have you learned over those years? And question is, what do you, what do you expect the next 10 years to look like? What's going to change then? Uh, the crystal ball question. Yes. So the big learning actually did happen in about 2013 in Australia. Um, we were, even at that point, we were still doing that same program. We, you know, everybody calls it a boot camp. You come in, you convene all your companies. We're mostly virtual, but convening the companies, panels together that can talk to the entrepreneurs and explain how things are done. And we are sitting there and we had a panel, really great group of folks talking about um, go-to-market strategies. And it was very clear to me within the first five minutes that they were talking among themselves. You know, the same, they'd probably be on a ton of panels talking about the same topic. And I looked over at the cohort and they were, not really paying attention. Probably heard the same stories over and over again. And I said, I stood up and I said, stop, we're gonna switch this up. The only people that are gonna talk for the rest of the day are the entrepreneurs. And we're gonna ask them what their go-to-market strategy is, who are their target market, how they, what is their strategy for raising the capital, the funding that they need what are, what are the other strategies that they may need? So again, that yes and approach. And that's changed everything for us. So we have a full room during these in-person sessions. And even now, you know, we have 30 people on a call interviewing candidates for cohorts because people have time now. Um, to participate and, and people come so they can observe and add value. Here's how, you know, here are some questions that we would have about your strategy. And so the entrepreneurs get up and they talk. We learn a lot about them. We learn a lot about their strategies. We learn about their challenges and how we can help. And that has changed everything. And I think that's essentially how entrepreneurs learn. Feedback, all kinds of interesting connections, finding the right advisors, somebody who's relevant to that stage of growth, and then a peer network around it. And peers, I, it's not just the entrepreneurs, it's all of the other people who I call peers because a lot of our women, actually most of our women are either serial entrepreneurs or they're people who have worked in industry at a fairly high level um, or are lawyers or accountants. Um, certainly most of them have MBAs, if not PhDs. And, and so, you know, their expertise is as valuable to the group as the advisors, quote unquote, are to uh, the cohort. And so that 
was a big change in our approach to working with our companies. Um, uh, they are, what we need to know is what they need to be successful as they grow that company and how we can help them along. Um, so it, that was the big learning uh, on it. And my crystal ball for the next 10 years is, you know, we'll just keep learning and getting deeper and deeper into the domain expertise that we can offer companies, you know, and certainly technology has, you know, grown and changed ex and matured exponentially. So that things that I remember we did our first website in 1998, 1999, it cost us $1,600 an hour to create a very basic non-e-commerce website, no interaction that now, you know, you can put up in a couple of hours by yourself for free. And so, you know, what's going to happen in 10 years? I mean, I'm not even sure I know what's going to happen in a year. And who would have anticipated the COVID situation, virus situation that we have now, which again, like what happened in 2009, what happened in 2000 and 2001, um, completely changes uh, the landscape uh, and you see it already with just the whole embracing of telehealth and online engagement of communities and networks and uh, I have no idea but I'm interested in being along for the ride. I think we share the same sentiment with you too. Um, it, if anything, I hope what we learn from this is we are actually more connected together across geographies, across industries, um, across any demographics than we previously thought. Um, we're not an island in amongst ourselves. Um, and so, you know, as, as, as connected and engaged we are, we need to make sure that we maintain that even after we emerge from the crisis that will become more thoughtful and more considerate. This is definitely um, a time to, for change, but it's also a time for soul searching. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I miss that big hug of yours. We can't do it virtually. So hopefully, you know, in due time, we'll get to meet again. And um, we'll, we'll chat more. Thanks. And spiritual hug to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision.